This is UCD Business Impact. Our experts each week will offer insight, spark curiosity, and challenge you to rethink how you do business in a changing world. I'm your host, Emmett Oliver, financial editor and journalist and lecturer at UCD College of Business. Now, we've been covering the office and the workplace more generally over recent weeks. We've looked at how employees are managed. We did that with Darren, Dr. Darren Baker recently. We talked a few weeks back with Maeve Houlihan about does the office itself have any future at all in the light of COVID-19. But what we've been really seeing in the press and something that's kind of a personal interest is how we look at how employees perform in the office when they're there or at an offsite location or in their home, obviously in the current environment. What do we measure? How do we monitor them? Should we monitor them? Should we look at what they do, their performance, and what are the tools we should use? And one of the really interesting areas that's in the news at the moment is the whole area of HR analytics, um, a part of which is HR metrics. And this is looking at employees, right from when they join an organization to when they depart, even if it's that one year, 10 years, etc. It's the whole thing, all stages of the employee process. And H&M, Google, some really big international employers have found themselves in real trouble, including fines, for the way that they have been monitoring, measuring, and dare I even say it, more Orwellian, surveilling employees that they have under their own roof. So what I want to look at today's podcast, I think be really interesting, is to look at this whole area of employee and HR analytics. What is it and what are the dangers, but also what are the benefits, because they are also considerable. And my guest to talk about that, because she is an expert in this field, it is Dr. Maria Bellison. She is an assistant professor here at the UCD Business School, and she is an academic lead with the HR Analytics Think Tank in London. She's also involved in international HRM practice, particularly with regard to multinationals and multinational companies. You're very welcome to the uh, podcast, Dr. Maria Bellison. Hi, Emmett. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. And this is a fascinating area because there's so much media headlines being generated by this. Uh, a lot of people obviously concentrate, and we will do a little bit of that in this conversation on the darker aspects of this, but that is really just a way into the conversation because there's a lot more going on here than, than just those superficial headlines about one or two companies here and there and what they're doing. So let's get a few of the definitions out of the way, I suppose, make it easier for our listeners. What is HR analytics? So in a nutshell, HR analytics is the use of HR and business data to solve people management issues, eventually to drive strategy and to achieve uh, business objectives. So within organization, that means that HR analytics are basically, they're trying to provide insights on issues that are somehow hindering performance or other, other business outcomes. So I'll give you a few examples. The typical case is employee attrition. Um, so there are certain companies where employee attrition um, rates are very high, and that means that those companies will in- incur in huge amounts of money trying to replace those employees that leave the company. And that is basically unsustainable in the long term. So just on average, replacing an employee can be 1.5 times the employee salary in a year. Um, so that means a huge increment in overheads and is not great really for, for the long term. So one of the things that companies are doing uh, within and from their H analytics functions is to, to figure out why are those employees leaving the company? Or even a better question, which is for those who stay, why do, do they stay actually? 
And with those insights, they try to obviously uh, retain the, 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 the talent that they have already recruited. Another big area in H analytics, which we have seen an enormous growth, is employee engagement surveys. Um, not only in terms of kind of measuring the employee sentiment in terms of whether employees are happy or unhappy with the organization, but also, you know, figuring out or finding out what practices can make a positive impact on engagement. And sometimes that is a higher pay. Sometimes it's more training or more flexible training. Sometimes is a flexible working arrangement. So there is a lovely example uh, of a manufacturing multinational in Munster. And they ask them, they ask the employees, what is it that will make you more engaged? And what they said was precisely those flexible working arrangements that will allow them to maybe drop the kids uh, in school or maybe care for a parent uh, in the afternoon and, and, and trying to work around those, those, I suppose, responsibilities. And they implemented uh, some of those practices and they saw a, a 10% growth in employee engagement the following year when they run the survey again. And then finally, a really good area where there has been good work done uh, lately is, is, the, is diversity and inclusion but, in inclusion, but more specifically, equal pay. Um, so uh, I'm sure you're aware that in, in, in Europe, there has been an introduction of legislation around equal pay uh, in certain countries, including the UK and Ireland, and companies have been running analysis on salaries uh, to see if women are paid equal uh, equally uh, than than men or as men, and and uh, there has been really good work done there as well. Now we suppose we should make clear for our listeners: there used to be the traditional HR file, which used to contain name, salary, potentially you know to do with sickness or sick leave, holiday entitlements, what you might call you know standard employee information relating to entitlements when someone started their job, when they finished their pension arrangements, etc. That sort of material has been collected for, well, I would say probably the best part of a century since we moved in, you know, past the industrial age and so on. So that's still part of it, but you're talking about a set of data or collection of information that goes beyond that. Can you just give our listeners some idea of the kind of the full span of the, the analytics we're talking about here? Yeah, so you're right. Uh, some of those HR metrics, which are basically basics uh, or basic metrics, have been there for a long time. Uh, and they were more admin, uh, payroll, kind of legal information that companies need to store and, and, and to keep within their records. That's for sure. That was for sure the case. I suppose H analytics, first of all, it, it, it enhances the, the reporting capability in different companies. So how we can transmit or communicate these insights, this, this information in a better way, you know, and there is a lot of talking about visualization and storytelling. So what does the data mean for us in our specific circumstances? That's one part of H analytics, but that would be in a kind of a maturity kind of context that would be also quite the foundations of it. However, H analytics is more than that. So what we're trying to do here is to take those pieces of information, put it together, run some analysis with it that is that that are suitable and and provide kind of a, 
a greater picture. So we're trying to get, in a way, we're trying to get a panoramic view of that particular HR domain or, or area that we're trying to uh, to change or to, to solve. And that, that picture contains a more nuance. It's like a high resolution picture compared to what we had maybe 10 years ago or 20 years ago. And Maria, you, you've studied intensively the multinational corporation sector, the MNC. So that's where you, you've got a real expertise when it's done on a global scale. And I suppose what allows all this collection to happen is that we have a piece of the workplace in our back pocket on a smartphone. Maybe we have it on an iPad. You know, most of us, not everybody, most of us aren't even going into the office at the moment due to the virus. So we're carrying around a, a data collection tool which allows, you know, companies, it's often the company's own equipment that they've issued to you as an employee. Certainly any contracts I've seen over the years, usually the company says it's our equipment and that essentially applies a form of consent certainly in some um, instances for, for the use of that material. So can you just walk me through the, the kind of legal and ethical minefield that we have to cross here about, you know, who can collect what? Does, do employees have to consent or opt into the collection of these things? Now, I'm not asking you to be a, a lawyer here for the next 10 or 15 minutes, but just in a, a very loose sense, can you give us some idea from your own um, research, where are the kind of do's and don'ts and where are the boundaries about this whole area of, of collecting the analytic information? Yeah, absolutely. So that's a really interesting area within HR analytics and a very needed one. And you were mentioning the, the case of uh, H&M uh, at the beginning uh, of our conversation there where there has been a, a clear case of, of privacy breach and, and, and employee surveillance. So what happened in H&M is that they had this service center in Nuremberg and some of the managers were requesting information uh, that was unnecessarily and it was quite uh, private in nature so we're talking about employee religion medical history or physical or mental health details that were completely outside company compliance and guidelines and this information was actually used for performance review and promotion and, and proper hr decision making so it was uh, it was it was very very poor form um, so now they're facing a 30 million euro fine uh, which is quite something and obviously they had to revamp uh, the, the, the managers there to kind of replace them and, and to do a proper training, appropriate GDPR training. So I suppose, yeah, you were mentioning the technology, the infrastructure at the beginning of that question. Uh, obviously now H-Analytics is, is possible because we have the technology that allows us to, to make it happen and to make it possible. Now technology, it gives, give us, like basically gives us endless opportunities for analysis and any type of analytics uh, but that doesn't mean that everything should be done even though it can be done um, so that's why the EU quite recently that was like a couple of years ago in, in 2018 they brought into force uh, our own legislation GDPR which we know well all of the people working in industry know very well so it's basically it lays down rules for the collection processing storage and use of personal data so there are kind of three requirements that, they, that they're making with that particular piece of legislation. And is that personal data needs to be treated in, an, in a lawful, fair and transparent way. Okay. So in other words, everything that is collected should have a purpose, a clear purpose. And it shouldn't be used for any other purpose than that one. Okay. The issue of consent is a tricky one, okay? And I'll tell you why, because it's not a condition uh, sine qua non for, for GDPR. 
So in other words, you don't have to give cons- consent always, but you have to fulfill other requirements if that is not the case. For instance, maybe the government asks you for certain information, or maybe there is a legal obligation for you to keep that information. Now, having said that, uh, the guidelines are so, so clear from the EU point of view that a lot of companies have opted for creating a consent system whereby every time or, you know, once off or every time they use information, they certainly um, will ask employee consent. If they don't, and if they obviously breach any privacy, uh, individual rights, uh, then something can be done, as we have seen with, with H&M and other organizations that have been maybe too, too cheeky or maybe without realizing, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. So in that, in that case, I think certainly within the Irish context, um, there has been a great GDPR training and awareness over the past two years. And I'd say most companies, and particularly within HR, are very ethically oriented and very GDPR oriented. Also, and I suppose one of the reasons is because the HR professionals are part of the population, are part of the sample. So every time that that one of those professionals need to make a decision on whether they have to use a particular piece of data, they would be asking themselves, would I like my company to know this piece of information about myself and to use it? And obviously, if the answer is no, then it means that it's probably not ethical. So I think there is a kind of a a broader ethical framework and awareness beyond GDPR, which has been, to me, it has been a nice surprise to see over the past two years really uh, growing steadily. One of the side issues, and I'm just going to bring it down a slight side straight here for a second in the conversation, which is the whole area of algorithms being used for recruitment purposes. And I know anyone who's listening to this podcast now, whether out jogging or in the car or wherever they're listening to it, it, I know this really is a bugbear for a lot of people, is that they apply for a role and an algorithm that has been pre-programmed and had the inputs put into it by the employer, you know, essentially filters them out on could be gender, could be age, could be skill set, could be geography. You know, there's a whole range of reasons. Some would be illegal. Others are just kind of strange, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know, first of all, is that part of HR Analytics, the suite of things? And have you any view yourself, Maria, on the whole issue of algorithmic recruitment and how much of a blunt instrument they can be? So there are two different things here as regards uh, recruitment algorithms. One of, it, one of them is, is, is the use of a recruitment system. And that is basically tailored to filter out applicants based on a specific set of criteria. So without realizing, because it's the machine who does it for you, you're actually selecting a number of CVs, a number of applicants out of a pool. Uh, and those are the candidates you will be shortlisting. Now, that, that's something very common and quite extended, particularly for medium and, and large organizations where they can see maybe 600, 1,000 applicants for some of the jobs, uh, job ads that they have published. So in those cases, like the recruitment filter is handy and you could even argue that it's necessary because the, the, the numbers are, are very high. Now, you do lose out in different things. So... 10 years ago, without the algorithm, you, you might have seen some interesting candidates and you might have given them the chance. Now, now that doesn't happen, okay, at that level. That's one thing, and, and I suppose it's an option. I, I don't have a particular take on that in the sense of I don't think it's an ethical 
I think is just like economies of scale. Now, the second point is where the kind of the ethical concern can, can kind of creep in, which is when you use the algorithm to recruit or select potential employees based on your current manager's trades. Okay, when you teach an algorithm to select uh, the same way you have been selecting in the past or your team has been selecting in the past. Because most likely you were biased towards something. It could be gender, it could be nationality, it could be a particular skill set, a particular educational background. Um, so the algorithm is going to replicate the same thing you have been doing for years. And that is a way, a nice way to carry your own biases and that should be tackled. So we need transparency within algorithms. We need to correct for biases because otherwise you're going against your diversity and inclusion practices and values and you can be even unfair towards, you know, some minority group. Okay, so that, that needs human intervention and human oversight to make sure that the system hasn't almost kind of taken over and embedded these biases that were, you know, built up years ago. Yeah, that's right. So it doesn't replace human judgment. We're saying that H analytics or, or the tools that H analytics are giving us, uh, they do support our decision making. Uh, they enhance our, our capacity to make a judgment on different situations, but they do not replace it. So, you know, some things are obviously law binding and those are the easy ones. Other, other things are more uh, maybe ambiguous and, and we have to maybe develop that kind of ethical a framework or, or a set of ethical guidelines that will allow us to use data and to and to establish processes for data access and data processing that that are, a number of companies are, are have started doing already. So there are I have been talking to some recently that are kind of really really developing frameworks uh, to to access data. So so for instance, not everybody can access HR data. Only the people that need to see a particular data set will have access to it. Um, and that's something that is quite, I suppose, quite relieving in itself, that not everybody will have access to your data, even though you have given consent for that, for that data to be used. And one of the things that I noticed in preparation for this particular edition of Business Impact, Maria, is, you know, I saw this phrase data lake, and I immediately thought, you know, is there an issue there where yes. as companies get better at mining the information, at creating the templates, are we in danger of drowning in it? <laughs> Literally data lakes and dashboards and spreadsheets of information that, you know, kind of that normal way of managing, you know, and nurturing talented employees, developing them, that developmental role. Is that in danger? Is that in on a collision course with just the sheer mountains of data that will start flowing through organizations? Is that something that in your research and with some of your colleagues in the air that there's any concern about? Well, I, I think it's more the terminology that that creates that sense of, of, of big things. You know, I, I don't think like big data is really millions of observations that are put together in this kind of relational databases. Now, that's something that bank, banking, finance, insurance companies, they do have a lot of data. OK, but HR doesn't have that amount of data. So. Uh, there is a professor in the Wharton School in the University of Pennsylvania, Peter Capelli, who says that there is no big data in, H in HR yet, and we have a, a kind of a long uh, road to go. So we do need the time to build those data lakes within HR. So most companies uh, spend two or three years building that HR data infrastructure. 
And in, in some cases, they do incorporate it into a bigger company-wide data lake. But I think it's still early days to say we can collect and use too much data in HR. And, and you're, you've been very positive about making sure that the role of the manager is and the role of business acumen, just ordinary business acumen that we've had for, for decades, that that doesn't get lost in all of this. Yeah, you're right. Um, so HR decision-making is, is slightly more complex than, than even any other management domain because we, we are dealing with business issues, but we're all also dealing with human beings. And that, that entails um, legal and social responsibility. Um, and, and I think we're very aware of that in, in, in our HRM and ER department here in, in UCD. And we try to look at the employee from, from a multi-stakeholder perspective. So we're, we're, we're seeing them in, in the workplace, but we're seeing them in their families, in their local communities, relating to other, to other kind of economic and social agents. So in that sense, for sure, we need ju- human judgment. So as you were saying before with the, the, the recruitment example, possibly there is, there is an experience and a business acumen on recruitment uh, that the hiring managers do have. Uh, I'm not saying that it's intuition because it's not intuition, but it's just the experience of having hired for maybe 15, 20 years. That needs to be brought to the equation. That can be not left out. Uh, because it would be a loss for the organization. So we try to get all of the information available, all of those insights that the H-analytics function might, might give, but then you have to take it and, and, and I suppose uh, balance it out with your own business acumen and experience and see what's the best direction we, we could go uh, with whatever we're, we're trying to solve. So well, I've often been at a few meetings and most of our listeners will have been as well, Maria. And there's two people that are always under a bit of pressure <laughs> in terms of having data in front of them. The marketing manager tends to get uh, questioned about all the spending they're doing and their budget and what are the outputs. But also the HR manager traditionally didn't have the full panoply of data in front of them compared to say the CFO or the, the CEO or even the operations officer. Does this whole suite of tools, these HR analytic tools, does that give them something that where they can be more assured going to the meetings and more assured of their role generally within the organization? So, yeah, like there is a longstanding debate here around the link between HR and organizational performance. And that so far hasn't been really uncovered. Um, so for a lot of people, HR is just the, the poor relative in the company. Uh, they cannot demonstrate what they're doing or, or any impact that they, that they make. Um, so in that sense, that would be probably the best question we could ask about HR analytics. Does it elevate HR in the executive board? Now, I would like to think that it does, but it's a kind of a long-term journey. So there have been two instances where we have seen uh, that credibility and recognition really go up. So one of, one, one of those instances is when, when they HR, the head of HR of a, of a company, believes in, in data-led decision-making and acts as a sponsor. And what I mean by sponsor is to provide the HR analytics function with enough financial resources to grow, to build necessary infrastructure, and also to take those insights into account on board to make quantifiable impact in the organization by making change happen, changing practices and policies based on those insights. That's one of, the, one of the, the, the reasons. The second instance would be when H-Analytics 
projects are actually requested by the business and not by HR. So when the business sees the need for a particular HR analytics piece, then they actually provide a lot of a lot more financial uh, support to get to that particular kind of goal. So I suppose from that point of view, there is also a, a journey in terms of building their their credibility. Uh, within the organization, but that uh, kind of originates within the business rather than in HR. In both cases, I think the end outcome is to see that actually HR matters, that what we do with people does matter. And, you know, obviously that, that kind of elevates HR into a higher level that we didn't have before. So yeah, I, my, my, I suppose my view would be positive in the sense that I think it does but I think it's going to take time for companies. So it's kind of a, a slow motion progress uh, when it comes to HR. But I think little by little, and, and, and as those HR analytics functions grow in maturity uh, and, and get more established within the, the, their own organizations, we will see it more and more. And, and we all hear this phrase, you know, data is the new oil, et cetera, et cetera. And I suppose what it's trying to denote is that the possessor of this information, you know, acquires power acquires clout in an organizational sense, but outside the organization, do you see this whole area as giving some companies an advantage? We've mentioned Google, for example. I mean, can Google, you know, get a march on another tech firm? Can somebody in the pharma sector, you know, can Pfizer be ahead of Merck, etc.? you know, by having better HR analytical data flowing around and transmitting around an organization, do you see that as sort of a competitive advantage issue? It could be as well. So that's a, that, that is a really good point. So the most valuable HR data is the one that will help you to grow and drive a strategy. And that will be very different for every organization. Um, so you know this thing of best practices, you know, so best practices are really common practices, practices that companies put in place just to be competitive. Uh, so they, they're really needed to survive in the market, but they don't give you a competitive edge, really. So to kind of enjoy some competitive advantage, it has to be something that we do as a business that is unique, that is rare, that is hard to imitate, and that obviously has an impact on that organizational performance. So we can dive into our HR data to see where our organization can actually make make a difference in that sense. So for some companies, it could be maybe the digitalization of some processes, for other companies would be how they do continuous improvement. Uh, it could be a unique onboarding system that combines digital tools with one-on-one -on -one interventions. Uh, so in a way, the sky's the limit to differentiate HR and to see what, what that impact is on performance. But I think companies need a little bit of creativity to combine actually the HR analytics insights with that human judgment and business acumen to come up with really different and unique and new practices that, that will give them a competitive edge. Okay, that's fascinating because it is a little bit of frontiers land here at the moment. It's been here a good few years, but as you say, smaller companies tend to less, less be oriented into this area than larger ones. So is there somewhere that um, people can find out more about this or people who are involved in the practice of it or who are doing academic research who want to get more involved with other people who are either practitioners or researchers in the whole area of HR analytics? Is there somewhere somebody could go or find out more that you might know about? Yeah, so I suppose at international level, we have the HR analytics think tank, academics from the UK, the States and Ireland at the moment. And we do produce content and research. Uh, so you can find a lot of 
videos uh, where practitioners are presenting different projects with different techniques, you know, over different HR domains. And that, that's really interesting. And then within the Irish uh, context, um, myself and, and Dr. Sarah Kieran from the University of Limerick, we, we started this community of practice, H-Analytics Ireland. Now, Maria, of course, I can't let you away before we wrap up without asking about the current virus. I, I was nearly going to get through a whole interview without mentioning the C word, but I do think we have to see what it does in terms of how it impacts this area. How has that been impacting HR analytics? The fact that so many people are working from home. Some people haven't been in the office for months. People are changing roles. It's a time of great anxiety. Can you just talk me through briefly the kind of COVID impact on the HR analytics field? Yeah, COVID, COVID priorities for HR analytics is such an interesting topic. So yeah, there has been a huge appetite and demand for, for HR data from, from the business side, actually, more than from HR, I think. And so there has been a shift in terms of HR analytics users. Normally they were HR professionals, now is more the, the business side of things. So there have been possibly four areas where, where the priorities have really moved on into new kind of roads or paths. The first one is obviously in-house COVID trackers. So how many of our employees are infected? Is anybody traveling uh, under high risk um, infection or, you know, and, and some kind of contact uh, tracing as well within the workforce, people that, that had COVID-19 and had met other people uh, within the organization. Um, so they, they actually designed their own, their own trackers. The second one has been employee sentiment around COVID. Uh, so self-perceived productivity uh, while working remotely, uh, whether the company supports were useful or not, a lot of well-being management, so well-being and mental health awareness and support has been part of kind of the most of COVID responses uh, in organizations. And then there has been a new element in, in diversity and inclusion that has come to light during the pandemic, particularly related to family responsibilities which in the past was kind of kept private. So we're, we're talking about, you know, number of children, homeschool, homeschooling during the lockdown, caring responsibilities with maybe elderly parents or maybe siblings with disabilities, et cetera. And employees have been very happy to provide that information that before maybe it wouldn't have been the case. So, and indeed we have all of this new area of office space, uh, because we know real estate is a very expensive asset and, and more so in capital cities like Paris, London or, or Dublin. And we, we have seen in the media recently the likes of Google or Microsoft uh, that are kind of playing with the idea of moving to a reduced and more fluid office space. Um, so all of those four areas, and I'm sure, you know, some more have kind of I suppose led companies to to or they have triggered like a more holistic view of the employee, uh, whereby the employee is not just a worker that produces a particular outcome, but they're seen as family members, as spouse, mother, father, daughter, son, etc. And I I'd say you know our vision of the workforce has become more humanized. Maybe it's because the pandemic is is here for all of us, so the virus doesn't really distinguish between management and, and employees. So I think we kind of have created a more compassionate view of the employee through these COVID and, and through these COVID priorities where H-Analytics has played a huge role. 
It's been a fascinating conversation, Maria. Thank you so much. You've got a very fair and balanced approach. You're aware of the ethical dilemmas, but equally you're very aware and a great advocate for the positive contribution it can make across organizations, particularly in the MNC sector where you have direct uh, research experience. It's been a good journey through. We'll see where it goes. We'll probably have you on the podcast again to see <laughs> how it beds down in an Irish context because some companies are only adopting it in, in the last year or two. So there's still a bit of growth into in the whole area. So it's going to be fascinating. We'll definitely have you back. And thanks for guiding us through some of these um, pitfalls, <laughs> the landmines, etc., etc. It's been really good and really good to talk to you. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Emmett. Lovely to talk to you.